Uh, today's scripture reading it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 to 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you should be able to find a Bible in the, in the seat in front of you, and you can open to uh, page 902. Again, today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 to 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of the Lord. Check. Right. Just join me as we continue to worship as we pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Would you open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your holy word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely love the way of your wisdom through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Last week, um, Pastor Eugene started to preach on the first part of chapter 13 of Corinthians. And last week's sermon could be considered as maybe verse 1 of the hymn that chapter 1 serves as a sandwich between chapter 12 and 14. Um, Many people consider chapter 13 to be a hymn, a love chapter, and the verses that Sung just read kind of describes what love is and is not, kind of pointing out the specific kind of problems within the Corinthian church. And unlike the sentimental love songs that we may be familiar with, listening to our Spotify or whatever list, the love that we have heard last week and as we heard today read, kind of going to verse 2 of this hymn, shows us that Biblical love, this agape love, is not a sentimental kind of love, but if anything, it's about action, it's about behavior. Now, those short verses that are read goes in pairs. So this kind of, if you consider verses 4 through 7 as verse 2 of this hymn, can be considered as with couplets. So the first pair describes the positive characteristic of this agape love. And then we see a series of four pairs, negative characteristics. And then we see this kind of a, um, a positive response followed by two more positive pairs. And the beauty of this is that love is personified. It's, it's not described as something, but as a person who exercises these, these kind of um, actions. What happens when such love is absent where, well, you see a church like the Church of Corinth, people with inferiority and superiority complexes, and um, it eventually leads 
to this divided church. The Corinthian church thought that a spiritual person, or the mark of a spiritual person, was having these super gifts of the Spirit. But as we see this sandwich, chapter 13, between 12 and 14, we're reminded that it is truly actually not the gift of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit that marks a person as truly spiritual. Um, The word that's described in chapter 13 is a familiar word. Um, It's an agape love. And while our translation, and you know, whether you grew up reading NIV, and as we have read in ESV, um, what might not be so clear is that these 15 descriptions, you have first couplet that's positive and four couplets that are negative and one that's positive that kind of responds to the previous and the last two that are positive, they're all actually verbs. They're not adjectives. They're action verbs describing what this love does. And it's not about love. This agape love is not about feeling this patience, like this, you know, you feel patient, but it's about practicing patience. It's not about simply feeling this kind of a kind feeling here, but it's about showing kindness, doing kind things. The second verse of this hymn that was read echoes with the very familiar passage from Galatians 5.22 when the fruit of the Spirit is listed, where fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You hear a lot of parallels that were described from 1 Corinthians I think in our best days, we long to show this kind of love to those around that we are doing life with. But in our worst days, we desperately yearn to receive this kind of love from those around. So let's begin with the first positive pair. Love is patient and kind. Again, these are not adjectives. These are action verbs. And more literally, The word love is patient can be better literally um, translated as love suffers long. And in the New Testament, this word is almost used exclusively in the way people relate with other people. And it's showing us this ability to be inconvenienced by someone when you're taken advantage of and not displaying anger or being upset. Patience and, kind, patience and kindness kind of represent two sides of love. Patience is actually a bit more passive. Kindness is a bit more active. Patience is restraining that kind of response, restraining anger, restraining a response that displays that in the interest of the other person. You're holding back the wrath, You're not showing, you know, revenge. You're waiting. You wait for that time. On the flip side, while patience is holding back the wrath, kindness is about being actively doing good to the other person. It's about 
being useful, serving the other person, actively being gracious to the one who may have done something wrong. None of us like to be interrupted in our planning, especially for those of us who are a little bit more inclined to be punctual, kind of like me. Um, we don't like delaying of our plans. We get irritated when plans go awry. I repented a lot preparing this even last night. Um, someone reminded me. Um, we don't like traffic when we are going to an appointment. We don't like something happening to our cars on our vacation. Welcome back. Uh, a couple who just returned. We don't like babies crying all night. That's not our plan, but it happens. And if you're waiting and finances are under constraint, you don't like when the check gets lost in the mail and you have to call again and ask them to resend. There is a deep craving in all of us where we want a trouble-free life. We don't want our schedule to be interrupted. But this agape love calls us to allow these kind of expectations of control to just die. Those things must die so that we can truly love. And of course, the supreme example of patience and kindness is from God himself, who tells us, I mean, these are his divine attributes, signature attributes. And in Romans 2, 4, Apostle Paul tells us, do you presume, presume on the riches, riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This patience and kindness of God are meant to lead us to repentance. And when we exercise patience, holding back wrath, when we exercise kindness actively in loving and serving, we're praying and hoping that the other person would respond in a godly way. So, this second verse of this love him shifts from describing the two positive of what love does to now what love does not do. It says, this agape love does not envy or boast. Um, envy it's probably one of the things that destroys a community the fastest than anything else. And it's referring to kind of our disposition to be displeased when someone else succeeds and coveting what others have that we may not have. And this jealousy comes out in two forms. The first form is probably a little bit more um, typical. Man, I want what that person has. I don't have it, that person has it, I gotta have it. Second one is a bit, not just a bit, it's quite insidious, quite evil. I don't have what they have, and I don't want them to have what they have. It's quite wicked. When King Solomon was ruling, um, he discovered a woman who pretended to be a child's mother she lost her child, and when another woman had her child, instead of allowing that mother to enjoy her own child, she rather take that away. 
We see examples of jealousy leading to murder from Cain toward his brother. We see jealousy being displayed by Joseph's brother selling him to slavery. We see jealousy affecting people like Daniel when he was taken under exile. And it was jealousy that eventually put him in that famous lion's den. Jealousy was pretty prevalent, unfortunately, in the church of Corinth, too. There were those who were jealous of Paul's apostolic call, questioned it, and there were many believers who were envious, jealous of those who had this fantastic gift of tongues, and those who didn't, you know, were jealous that they didn't have it. They were envious. And of course, the result, the reason, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that Apostle Paul is writing this letter and singing this hymn in the midst of chapters 12 and 14 is to point out that there's division within you because you guys are envious. Sometimes we may get envious of others who get the attention because they're serving. Sometimes we become envious because some others are wealthier or they have certain job, they're married or have found someone, they have a family, or they possess that something that you want. When was the last time we were envious of someone instead of being able to rejoice with them for the gift that God has given them? Two weeks ago when Pastor Eugene was preaching um, at the end of chapter 12, he um, pointed out verse 31 of chapter 12. Now, this word, um, zelu, to be jealous, same word, can be translated and has been translated when we read before to have a strong desire, earnestly desire. So it could be translated in a positive way or a negative way. And here in chapter 13, verse 4, it's clearly negative. Love does not envy, right? And considering the, the proximity of these verses and the same context between 12 and 13, it actually makes total sense to take verse 31 of chapter 12 as a statement instead of a command to pursue, earnestly desire that better, higher gift. That makes no sense. Instead, pointing out that you are now earnestly desiring the greater gift, the showy gifts, makes far more sense than pointing out as a command, hey, seek the greater gifts. Um, because seeking in this context is referring to being jealous, which agape love does not do. Brothers and sisters, agape love, sacrificial love that God displayed, not only does it not envy, but it doesn't boast. Now, we all love being made much of. We like to be admired. We like when people point out our successes and just leave our failures alone. You know, we, we have our ways of minimizing our failures and maximizing our success. When was the last time you updated your resume or CV to apply to that job or to that school? We are great. We've been trained to do this. And some of us, we kind of boast or there are those who boast in a crude way, in an overtly bragging way. 
But I think we are not, you and I live in a day and age and culture where we're a little more subtle. We might not be overtly bragging, or some of us might, but we tend to be a little more refined in bragging where we bring the conversation back to ourselves. And if we're not speaking positively, the tendency in some of us is to constantly come back to our brokenness, our woundedness, our sadness. So whether in our self-pity or boasting, we're still stuck on ourselves, focusing, bring the attention back to myself. Agape love, however, does not call attention to itself or its accomplishments or inadequacies. It's content, even if God's the only one who knows and recognizes. Jealousy is wanting that something has, someone has. Bragging is trying to make someone else jealous of what we have. And Corinthian believers, but definitely at least some of them were spiritual show-offs. They wanted detention. They wanted the glamorous gifts. They were flaunting themselves. And this is what Apostle Paul is pointing out. Agape love does not do what you've been doing. This hymn continues with the second negative pair by teaching us that agape love is not arrogant or rude. Um, some Corinthians believe they kind of had arrived in this perfect state. And Apostle Paul mentioned this way before in chapter 4, verse 18. Now some of you have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. And this arrogance kind of takes the next step of be from boasting. Um, and if you pay attention, arrogance can lead to people beginning to exaggerate their accomplishment because we have this desire to be or sound smarter or seem more gifted or be more deserving than others. Pay attention when someone begins to embellish details. I think it's a dangerous sign um, of the path that they're on because this arrogance has seeped in and we are not trusting that our value is fully sufficient on the cross. The Pharisees in the New Testament were great at this. And Jesus tells a parable between a Pharisee and a tax collector who exemplifies arrogance. The tax collector is praying, looking up with this kind of pride and arrogance, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. I do this and this, and I don't do this and that. But he fails to recognize that he truly needs forgiveness but he fails to see and see himself accurately. Agape love is humble and is able to honestly evaluate himself and in thus doing count others as more significant as reminded in the letters to the Philippians. True biblical love, agape love, leads us to imitate Christ who came not to be served but to serve and humility. This agape love is also not rude. Um, it, it's, it's talking about the manner in which you interact with other people. So agape love knows 
um, their place, knows when to act and when not to act. Agape love knows when to speak and when not to speak. Because a loveless person, guess what? They're rude, they're careless, and they don't care to offend others, hurt others. And those were the things that's happening in the Corinthian church. You know, Corinthian Christians were unfortunately uh, notorious or models of unbecoming behavior. They were rude and they were unloving. Why? Because we went through this before. They were gathering together in local houses to worship, but while some were just eating, getting drunk, and eating to their full, others were hungry and neglected. And during the worship services, there are people who try to outdo each other by speaking in tongues louder so that people can hear them, notice them. The song continues with a third negative pair. Agape, love does not insist on its own way, and it's not irritable. Love does not seek its own. It seeks the good of many, not just itself. Now, Paul's not condemning all concern for self-interest. Um, Calvin um, explains, Paul does not here reprove every kind of care or concern for ourselves, but the excess of it which proceeds from an immoderate and blind attachment to ourselves. Now, the excess lies in this. If we think of ourselves so as to neglect others, or if the desire of our own advantage calls us off from that concern which God commands us to have as to our neighbors. Selfishness is the problem, not legitimate self-interest. And the Corinthian believers were, again, doing this, being selfish, as I mentioned, they were not sharing food. And not only that, instead of you know, being gracious, they protected their own rights. And they went to court with suing other believers in a pagan court. Agape love is not irritable. And, and it can also be translated as not provoked or aroused to anger. If you think about this, it goes back to patience, right? Because what produces irritability? Um, impatience with others. And this is what we are called to learn, to put up with the faults of others. Love trains us to keep our anger in check and to respond appropriately when we are annoyed, when we are frustrated, when life happens, when things don't go our way as we planned. You know, when you look at Apostle Paul's life, he was never provoked or angered about things that happened to him personally. He was beaten. He was jailed. People lied about him. But you know what? He never got provoked by those things. But you know what he did get provoked by? When God's word was maligned, when the gospel was compromised, he got upset. There was righteous indignation. Why else is he writing this letter? He's pointing out, or any letters, he, he writes letters to point out the heresies. He writes letters to point out the immoralities that people were practicing. He writes this letter to point out that they're misusing the gifts of God. But not when it's personally being affected. We come to the fourth and final pair of the negative, what Agape love isn't. 
Agape love isn't resentful, and it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Now, ESV is, is a pretty succinct translation, but it kind of misses. Remember, all these are verbs, okay? And actually, it, in your former translation, whether you, know, you may have heard, um, love does not take into account of wrong suffered, or another one would be keeps no record of wrong. Actually, that's probably most literal translation. Love, agape love, keeps no record of wrong. So this verb is a bookkeeping term. It's like a CPA term. Um, and it's meant to calculate or reckon um, as when a figure is entered into a ledger, okay? What's the point? So that, you know, something permanent is recorded so that it can be consulted later knowing what is owed, But this is exactly what agape love doesn't do. And we see this throughout other letters of Apostle Paul. In Romans, he reminds us, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Same verb. In second letter to the Corinthian church, he writes, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting. Same word, their trespasses against them. So, Resentment, what is it? Resentment is our way of carefully keeping record so that we can go back to it, read it, and when we want to, or when we get a chance, demand some sort of a repayment. That's what resentment is. Or else, why would it kind of come back? Why do we feel that? Agape love keeps no record. There's no record book. There's no place for resentment and no grudges. And in addition, this final couplet ends by saying that it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. There are two parts to this, what it, what it means to not rejoice at wrongdoing. The first part is that love does not approve of moral evil. Um, we can't allow ourselves to be deceived by those who seek to kind of justify what God condemns in the name of love. If it goes against God's word, God's commandment, then we can't rejoice at it. That's just pure sentimentality. Biblical love leaves no room for that. You can't rejoice at things that are against God. Love is, agape love is directed to the good, and the standards of God, and it hates evil and wrong. Um, and the flip side, this, this agape love refuses to rejoice in wrongdoing. Um, in addition, not finding happiness and condemning others. It's amazing how wicked our hearts are. We are so prone to look for faults in others. Um, the sinful nature in us makes us want to point out what others have done wrong and rebuke them. And agape love doesn't do that. Rebuking is necessary, but it can't enjoy that. You know you have to do it, but it's not something you delight in. I think one of the greatest kind of example is actually gossiping. Scripture is replete with this 
command to shun away from gossiping. And I think it's because God clearly knows what our human predicament is. Um, we rejoice in sin, and gossiping is exactly that. We want to reveal, and we often do carelessly, um, and disclosing the sins and weaknesses of others. And we can say, oh, well, it's true, but it doesn't matter. It's still gossip when we disclose something as true. If it's a sin of someone, and it, you know, and it, it serves in two different ways. Either we vicariously enjoy it, um, or we just want to uh, feel kind of self-righteous. We want to gloat over the shortcomings of others. A lot of our entertainment industry, whether from newspapers, magazines, now from um, websites, cater to this sinful desire to expose people. You know, why do we watch certain shows that does these exposés of people's shortcomings? We want to feel superior, and we also at the same time vicariously live through what we don't feel comfortable doing in our own. And even when our kids are so young, it's, you know, why do children tattletale on their brothers and sisters? Surprise. Sinful, sinful nature. Not any different. It's just in its infancy. It might look cute, but it's actually just simply disclosing our human sinful nature to either vicariously do something that, oh man, I wanted to do that too, but I can't, but I'm going to point it out, and also at the same time perhaps feel kind of superior by saying, mom, guess what? This, you know, same thing. After having gone through these four couplets of what love doesn't do, Apostle Paul shifts and begins with a positive character. So what does agape love, what does it do? It doesn't rejoice in these kind of things, but in fact, it rejoices with the truth. Truth matters. Truth matters. God's truth matters. God's revealed truth matters. It never, biblical love, never delights in falsehood or false teaching. It's not sentimental, gushy, like all that stuff. It's based on and it celebrates the truth of God. Now we, we go to the last two pairs. So the, this second verse of the hymn, Love Him, as it comes to an end, it ends with these kind of uh, hyperboles, the, these kind of um, exaggerations to point out what it's supposed to shoot for. Love bears all things and believes all things. And by bearing, it's referring to kind of covering up, to support, to protect, protect from exposure, protect from ridicule, protect from harm. And that's what agape love does. Now, it doesn't protect sin, but it protects the person. It's able to recognize that these are minor things that we are called to be patient over, just bear, protect them. These are annoyances because we, we know true spiritual maturity takes time. It takes a long time. And we all have a long way to go. I mean, think about all the, every week we come here and we confess our sins. Think about the patience of God. We know it takes time. 
to be conformed into the image of Christ. But bearing all things does not mean that we are going to put up with serious sins or grave injustices. I mean, after all, you have passages like Matthew 18 that clearly shows the steps of church discipline. Someone sins against you, you go alone, and if they don't respond, you take another person with you. And if that doesn't get any result, then you bring it to the church. And what else? Apostle Paul writes in previous chapter 5, Hey, if a young person is sleeping with a husband, the father's wife, it needs to be dealt with because that's going to infect the church. So we're not talking about ignoring sins and blatant injustices. Those things, think about all the letters Apostle Paul wrote. It's because he couldn't ignore it. And this agape love believes all things. It doesn't assume malicious intent but it believes it, it continues to have this kind of response in due time now when there are ample evidence to go against this then it will be foolish to kind of believe this person um, but this agape love in general is not suspicious or cynical but it believes in the best outcome that this brother that this sister as we wait and pray, will in God's time confess, will be forgiven, and will be restored back to the church. That's what it means to believe. When you think about people who don't believe, one of the first groups of people that comes to my mind are probably Job's friends. Job's friends come to him, but they, they believe the worst about him, unfortunately, and believe all that stuff that's happening to him are the result of what he had done. The suffering was proportional to the life. They have forgotten or refuses, they refuse to acknowledge that Job was living a righteous life. The second verse of Love Him ends with two um, second positive pair. What does agape love do? It hopes in all things, it endures all things. It ends with this beautiful picture, forward-looking. Um, as long as Jesus is not finished uh, with his people, as long as that person is still alive and breathing, we continue to seek the Lord for that brother or sister. We continue to pray for the conversion of their heart, the repentance, so that they will be restored. They never stop hoping. They never stop praying. Even those who profess their faith before, you continue to pray for them. You continue to show them love. You continue to reach out to them. We continue to hope. Hope is not wishful thinking, but it's with this assurance of knowing what God is doing. Pastor Eugene's recommended book of the month is um, Augustine's Confessions. It's a beautiful book. If you don't have it, get a copy. If you need a copy, um, I have an extra copy, but in, in the book, um, Augustine's mother basically waits and prays for decades for her, her son, who's been living in this life of decadence and debauchery. She has been the one praying behind the scene, praying and hoping that he would repent and experience that saving faith. And in God's time, in God's time, it happens and that's the beauty of this agape love that hopes in all things. 
And this love him ends with this agape love endures all things. The, the verb endure is a military term. Imagine an army like holding its vital position to the end at no cost. It's like, even if it costs their life, they're going to hold their ground. They're going to endure. And that's, again, the image that Apostle Paul gives us. Agape love, sacrificial love, endures all things. It holds its ground till the end. Again, this doesn't mean that you ignore um, grievous sins, um, but it means it's patiently waiting. Brothers and sisters, as we think about this agape love of God, as we sing this love hymn that we get sandwiched between chapter 12 and 14 in the midst of all this kind of chaos of these immature Corinthian Christians, we're reminded that the more excellent way is the way of love. Um, And the presence of such love is actually the most true test of Spirit's presence. Because if you think about it, as Apostle Paul pointed out, the gifts of the Spirit can all be kind of duplicated. They're false gifts. Speaking in tongues doesn't show that necessarily that the Spirit of God is in you. But you know what does clearly demonstrate? Seeing the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Those can't be faked. You can't, manip- you can't muster it up on your own. This love is a supernatural work of a holy God when we get what God did on the cross. Jesus himself declared, how will others know who are his? All people, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love, agape one another. God so loved, agape, the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is this sacrificial love of God. When we get this sacrificial love of God and we begin to see this beautiful hymn of love, not the sappy sentimental songs we hear on the radio or on Spotify, but this sort of hymn of love, we begin to understand this is amazing. And this sort of love can only point to what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. Who else suffered in the way Christ suffered? Who else didn't show envy but gave himself humbly? Who else could have boasted but didn't? Could have entered the world in ways that none of us could have imagined but entered what? In a manger? Who else could have pulled off being rude but didn't? Who could have sought his own way being the Lord of Lords but didn't? Who could have been provoked? Who could have have kept account? If anyone, Jesus could have. But he didn't. And when we are able to begin to receive that, 
sacrificial love of God and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it is only then we can begin to allow these things to die. These things like our desire for undisturbed life. That's a hard one for me. But how else could I let this die? Well, we, we allow that to happen. We put that at the feet of the cross. That's the only place we can let those things die. Our desire for unshared affection. Because if we don't, we'll be consumed by envy. Our desire to call attention to our success. Put at the foot of the cross. Let the cross be fully sufficient. Our rights to do things that may be offensive. Our desire for dominance in our preferences. Have it my way. Our desire to have no frustration. Those things need to die, and they can only die when we understand what Jesus did. Our desire for revenge, as we recognize that Jesus keeps no record, his ledger is covered by his blood. We can only begin to die to these desires when we come to the cross. And that's why we preach the gospel from the beginning to the end of our service on Sunday. And brothers and sisters, our hope and prayer is that we look to the cross, we look to understand the love of God in the person and the death of Christ, that we may begin to show that agape love as a body. Let us pray.